So wouldn't it be great when we were born if we could be right there in the doctor's office and have the ability to sit down with a life menu, right? And as an infant coming out of the womb, we'd be able to check off all of the relationships and the meaningful relationships that we long for that could happen. We could order them up. And what if also you could put on that menu and choose, where do I want God to use me? Where could I see impact and be a part of? Because that would be on my list right there. Like where, where could I be a part of something that is moving mountains, is moving people towards God, where, where they're seeing such transformation? If, if we could have that ability when we were born to be able to order it up, wouldn't we? I know the struggle this morning is that we all have had a life, and I've lived 52 years of it, and quite frankly, there are things I wish I could have do-overs. But we have this morning and on. And as we talk about our faith and finish up this series in faith, I think it's important you to hear this morning that we are held accountable for our lives. And God has designed us specifically for two things. One, for relationships. Not just with Him, but other people. Friends, your, your life in Christ was not ever meant to live in isolation. And that means if you sit here on Sunday and call your faith more just about getting information about God and then leaving, and you're disconnected from people in brokenness in the journey of their faith story, then you probably are living isolated. You've been designed for relationship, but number two, you've been designed to be a part of impact, something greater than yourself. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm leaving you here, John 17. And he'll later on say that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave one with you, the Holy Spirit, and you're going to do great things. You're going you're gonna to see people see. You're going to see people healed. You're going to watch mountains move. That's where it lands us this morning in the text in Matthew chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, there's some on the carts if you want to grab one. Matthew 17, and we're going to, we're going to finish out our faith series really with a charge this morning. And really come up, we're going to have four questions that I'm going to have you think about to, to kind of measure where you're at. But Matthew 17 is going to get us towards the end here of our, our faith series. And really, we've been anchored on this verse, Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Confidence, this, this sense of, we talked about it with a young little five-year-old girl said, Daddy, will you build me a playhouse in the backyard? Remember that story? And that all of a sudden she starts to carry out the dishes and the father's saying, what's she doing? And the, the wife says, she heard her dad say, I'm going to build you something. Having that kind of confidence that Jesus called us to live out our faith, to have, a, as Damien said this morning, a living response because we trust and have the confidence in what he's already said he will do. But it's also this hope. And so the question I have for you this morning is, what are you hoping for for the rest of your life? Interesting, this morning, we don't really know how long that is. We don't have tomorrow guaranteed. And yet we have a choice to live out our faith very, very a powerfully in a living response way in our world, and we could do that through people, but also through what we're a part of. 
And we're going to see some questions this morning, I think, that are going to call us to this living response. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop here uh, to the text. A couple things have gone on. First, transfiguration is where Jesus reveals the fullness of his deity physically to his disciples. And uh, it's, it's in the first part of Matthew 17. Now, writers will say that Jesus has been training his disciples, but this is kind of the ending of him establishing who he is. He now switches in the chapter to saying, I'm giving you some important instructions. And this text in Matthew 17 gets us right to some really important uh, information for his disciples about faith. He's nearing the end of his ministry. Uh, he's giving first principles to the kingdom. Now, Mount Arbel is a mountain that we got to go to twice in Israel, and we uh, ha- got to spend a, a, a devotional morning up there. Now, the reason why it's so profound is it's in the region of Galilee, but this is the view of Mount Arbel, and we're literally sitting on rocks that are going over this cliff face, and we're getting to open up our Bibles and read. Now, we don't know where the transfiguration was. Uh, Bill Lenz and myself kind of, we speculate and think this is probably the most picturesque spot in all of Galilee. And we would think this would have been a good God spot right here. And so we, we speculate that that might be where it is. But you get this sense, we're going to talk about moving mountains this morning, that this would have been a mountain they would have stared at. This would have been a mountain they would have seen in this, in this region. And so, very powerful picture. It gets us into the text. Let's dive in. Matthew 17, verse 14 says, When they came to the crowd, a man approaches Jesus and kneels before him. Now, I've said it all series. I'm going to say it again this morning. You do not come to Jesus without kneeling. You see, religion has its basis in I come to God and have some sort of transaction that I could end up, I'll do some things for you, God, or I'll follow your rules and your list. See, that comes to God like eye to eye. What we find here in every measure of faith when we hear about great faith, we, we see a sense of worship. And one of the things we landed in our teaching cohort time on Thursday is that faith begins with worship. Faith begins with you broken. We've interviewed, uh, we're not interviewed, but we're kind of looking for two roles in the fall that we want to add to our staff and a children's pastor um, to, to, to give even more energy and direction to, to our team and then uh, and a youth area to add to what our team already is. And, you know, in both of those areas, we've, we've talked to some couples and so interesting because we'll ask them their story. And their story is of brokenness. And then when we say, hey, we've been thinking about you for this area. Would you think and pray about it? They say we're humbled. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, no, your brokenness qualifies you. You see, your brokenness tells me that you've, you've had to, to be on these. You've had to be broken before God. You've had to, you've had to recognize your place and how much you need him. I love that, and I think we get this great picture in all these stories that they immediately acknowledge who Jesus is, and this man is no different. He knows who he is. It says, Lord, have mercy on my son, this father says. He has seizures and suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into water, and I brought him to your disciples, but they could not 
heal him. Interesting. So the disciples, even though they're following Jesus, they're not having the impact and the power. And could it be true that many of you could be following all the religious ways of God and be far from him? Scripture says this. Scripture says a couple times, why do you call me Lord and, and don't do what I say? Or it says many in that time will do great things even for God, but God doesn't know him. They do things underneath the umbrella of God, but don't know him. There's a call here for a sense of God being connected and you being connected relationally to God. And there are times I think we don't see God work in us. We're just not, we're not really following it. It says in verse 17, you unbelieving and perverse generation. This is Jesus' response. This is Jesus' response to this. And he says, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring this boy here to me. And Jesus rebukes the demon and it comes out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Uh, So often we'll, we'll teach, and I've heard teachers say this before, but, you know, we'll say like a Greek word and I'll pronounce it or I'll butcher it. But we'll say, okay, the word unbelieving you know, really means this. And so I heard a teacher say this, and I love this. So what is the real meaning of this Greek word, unbelieving, mean? It means unbelieving. That's why they translated it that way. So there you have it. That means unbelieving. just means the inability to believe something. You're not sure if it's possible. The word perverse uh, comes out of a word that actually has some contextual in- insight that I thought was interesting. It means misshaped, perverted distorted. We think of that word in different terms, sexual deviant or, or, or distorted. They perverted something that God had. They misshaped it. And so this picture would be like if you were doing pottery, and in that time they would do, obviously all their stuff was done from pottery, their utensils or their, uh, their dishes and their pots and their bowls. But if you accidentally dropped it on the way to the kiln, right? Oops. Or you push too hard on one side and it would be misshaped and distorted. That would be perverting its intended shape. I want to give you four questions this morning to think about where you're at because this is an insightful question that Jesus poses. You unbelieving and misshaped culture. Wouldn't we agree this morning that even though God designed us in the garden for perfection, once sin hit us, we have a very misshaped way we think about life. We have a very perverse perspective about our own emotional state, about God, about worldview. We make very distorted decisions and choices at times in our life. And so you see here that Jesus is talking about a, a generation and a culture that we're really no different, that we still struggle with that. And so because of that this morning, one of the questions I have for you is this text is Jesus saying, how long do I have to stay with you to help fix the shape? And we know later on that he is going to die and raise again and eliminate slavery to sin and that we don't have to live in sin, but friends, we still struggle with the effects of sin, don't we? We're not perfect. My first question for you this morning that the text draws us into is where is your purity this morning? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says this, in the Sermon of the Mount, the Beatitudes, a mountain you can see from our bell, it says, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Have there been seasons of your life 
where you feel like you don't sense his presence and see him? Almost like these people in the video that you feel like there's something that's, that's blocking your ability to see spiritually life and relationships and, and the potential. You feel like he's distant from you. And the scripture says that blessed are those, happy are those people who have purity of heart. What does that mean? The word in the text, it means it's kathros in, in the Greek and it means to be an unmixed heart. You know the times where I'm blind to the work of God in my life and around me? You know the times I feel like I have spiritual cataracts in my eyes? Are when I have something else mixed in this heart that's not of God. Sin could be a pursuit of something else. Wanting more could be pride. In other words, Jesus is saying to his followers back then in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who have an unmixed heart. And friends, in our world today, isn't that what we're struggling? Not to have a mixture of something else other than what God intended. And that's what we battle. Where is your purity this morning of heart? What's in there? If you're not seeing God this morning, friends, I guarantee it's some, something else is mixed in. You get an impurity mixed into that, and it's, it's not allowing you to see. Now, Mark 9, Mark, I know we're in Matthew 17, but in Mark 9, Mark writes this story also. Now, I've told you before, when you, you have Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they'll write the same account on some of the stories, but they'll write it different. Any four of us in this room selected to write on the Packer season this year would write four different stories, right? Very sim- similar. We couldn't debate the record. We couldn't debate some of the things that had happened. But we'd probably have four different perspectives. This is much what is going on in the Gospels. So Mark, though, adds to this discussion with this father. It says, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Verse 21, actually that was verse 20 up there. Verse 21 says, from childhood, he answered, Uh, It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You notice what he said? He he just worshipped Jesus. He just knelt down before him and said, you are the one. But now he says, but if you can do anything. And Jesus' answer is, if you can. Are are you really asking me that? If I can. I'm so struck with that because I think we live this way, don't we? We sing songs about how great God is, right? We talk about, we pray these prayers about how great God is. We read in the Bible about how great God is. We say all that, and then how many of us say to God, well, if you can. The water looks really rough, God, outside of this boat. If, if you could, if you could. Do you see how to Jesus, that's, that's an insult on his, his, on his deity, his power. It's, it's if you can is not the question. And Jesus will say everything, everything. He says everything is possible for one who believes. Everything. D.L. Moody says faith takes God without any ifs. I love that. I, that was, that, that's probably one of my favorite of this whole series. 
It's short and to the point. Faith takes God with no ifs. There's no ifs. I want to ask you where your purity is this morning. I want to ask you where's your confidence this morning. You say that you believe God is who He is. You say that He can do anything. Do you believe? Do you have confidence? I think we live in a world today that, especially in the West, especially in America, especially here in Green Bay, that we can become very religious and familiar with tradition. And we lose a sense of sight. We get spiritual cataracts that don't allow us to have clarity and that confidence that He can do anything. God could change the whole city. Do you believe that? God can change the worst president we ever elect in this world, right? It won't matter. He could change them. God could change nations, countries, cities, families. There is nothing that God can't do. Where is your confidence this morning? Now back to Matthew, Matthew 19, it says, Then the disciples came to him in private because Jesus has healed this boy. I mean, it's almost, again, like all the stories we've read, this healing is, is almost not the focus. I mean, there would have been great rejoicing about the healing, but the text is reading us into something more intriguing, deeper than just this boy being relieved of this demon. The disciples ask a good question. Why couldn't we do this? I mean, if everything is possible, why couldn't we do this? Jesus replies, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move you. Nothing will be impossible to you. Just a couple thoughts about this. Now, if we're, we're making the, the assumption this morning and really the study and research that it is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. So to know Jesus, you have to have faith. So could we say this morning there's saving faith, and then there's this living response faith. So at some level, the disciples have a faith. So we said a mustard seed. You have all in your packets a mustard seed. So the disciples at least have a portion of the mustard seed faith, right? If you had to bust this up into half or quarters, they have some. Because they're following Jesus. I think some of you this morning have a faith, a saving faith. But Jesus is talking about something more. He's saying that faith after that. The faith to have a living response that, that begins to show itself. And he's saying if you had it just as big as a mustard seed, you could move mountains. See Mount Arbel? You can move it. This is the first real big lesson for the disciples as he's already shown who he is. There's no dispute who he is. It's how do we do this? How are we going to do this? And Jesus is saying it's faith. Notice Jesus doesn't say if you show up to church every week. Notice he says, he doesn't say if you know all the Bible verses, if you are religious. He's saying faith as small is that little tiny seed. 
This is what a mustard tree looks like when it's planted. I mean, it's so interesting about a seed because a seed is, is planted and it's, it's planted inside the soil and we don't see it for some time, right? We, we plant seeds and what has to happen to a seed? A seed has to die. There's, there's some part of this metaphorically that we can make connection to our faith. You have saving faith. That means willing to, to die to yourself. But then you plant the seed and what do we do when we plant gardens? I know when Trish and I plant the garden, we're like addicted to all of a sudden we show up to the house, doesn't matter when, sometimes it can be at night with flashlights, should we go see the garden? I mean, what are we looking for? We're looking for something to come out of the soil. We're looking for growth. I think there are Christians all over this world where God is just waiting I think there are churches where filled with people that have great intention, but because not allowing God and the Spirit to, to purify their hearts and lives, not being willing, as Damien said this morning, to step out of the boat, that the seed of their life, that saving faith, lays dormant under soil. And we have churches that have seeds of people just laying there, and we're all kind of waiting No wonder churches aren't having impact in the world today. No wonder churches find themselves where people, where their their kids grow up in the faith in a church and then they walk away from it. Who wouldn't? I don't blame kids of this generation that are a part of churches where they're not seeing God work. Because why would you waste your time being religious if you do not see transformation? This is a mustard seed. Jesus is painting this picture. Where is your faith this morning? Where is your purity at? Where is the scale of that, your heart condition? Where is your confidence? Where is your faith this morning? Are you a seed that's in the soil? Maybe you don't even have saving faith yet, and you're here, and I want to encourage you to be here, but maybe this morning you're, you know God, and you've had that faith. You've worshipped. You've, you've recognized His deity. But nothing is coming beyond the soil. I know that when we're growing these plants, we'll grow multiples of different plants. And sometimes, I know I grow hot peppers for hot sauce. And sometimes a pepper plant will come up and it's like, oof, that one, that's, that's struggling. It's just a struggle. And then the other ones are just flourishing. I'm like, what is it that needs something? And some of you this morning where your faith is at, maybe there's been some sign in your life, but you're struggling. Where is your faith this morning? And we could say that in a lot of different ways from all the different passages we've read this morning, but you know, if, if, if it's a boat for you and stepping out, what does the seas look out for you? And where are you walking on water? Where is it that you're seeing God do a living response in you and going, man, this is not me. God is doing something. Remember I said, if you could check on the menu as an infant, what you'd want to be a part of. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of walking on water. I want to be a part of moving mountains. I do not want to be a part of a church that is dead laying underneath the soil. I want to be a part of a people that are saying, move to mountain today. Yep, 
you will not believe what God did through me. Back to Mark. And so Mark, in his text, it says this, and some in the end of Matthew, it says, Jesus replies at the very end of this, not only faith, but he says to the disciples, this kind can only come out by prayer. Don't you love that? Jesus sends it all the way back to the beginning. Prayer is this equalizer. It reminds us that we're not moving mountains. We're a part of moving mountains only because God chooses to use us to move mountains. That God allows us to do that. And it, and it says there are times we're just going to have to find ourselves back in a place of humbled posture of saying, God, will you use us? It's not if you can, God, because we know you can. It's will you use us to change Green Bay? Will you use us to change our neighbors? Will you use us to change our family, to change kids that need food? Will you use us to, to, to change kids that need food around the world? Will you choose us and use us to affect ourselves? To live more dependent on you and less about this world. Here's the fourth question for you. Where's your prayer life at? I mean, we look at our quarterly report and friends, can I just call you as a church? We gotta pray ourselves through church. We need to be kneeling and asking God, if you want change in your life, then get back on your knees. If you, if you want change in your family, friends, get on your knees. If you want change in this city, if you want change in this church, whatever, wherever you long to see God move mountains, you've got to get back on your knees. And I feel always convicted in this area of not praying enough. Not to measure out how many hours and I pray more than you. It's, don't you know when you're not submitted that way? Don't you know when you're not prayed up? Don't you get that sense? You're going, ooh, I just did a lot of this on my own. I love reading through the Old Testament, and one of the warnings that God gave Moses and Joshua, and he tells Joshua specifically, he punishes the nation of Israel, says, because you did not consult me. I thought that was so intriguing, that word. You did not hire me as the consultant. You know what he's saying? You did not get on your knees and reclaim who I am and what I can do for you. This morning's about seeds and mountains. And before you, you have this little packet. And it says, move mountains, Matthew 17, 20. And there's a mustard seed. What do you want? What do you hope for for the rest of your life? My, my role here is not to tickle your ears. One of the texts, I believe it's in Timothy, it says, in the end times, churches will find for themselves teachers to tickle their ears. You know what that means? Make them feel good. Now, obviously I'm not here to make you feel bad, so that's not my goal either. My goal is not to make you feel bad. But what my goal is, is i got to push you. I need to push ourselves. And when I teach, I'm teaching to myself. When I'm teaching about faith, I told you in this series, I want to be re-inspired about my faith. I want to be a part of moving mountains. 
This is not for me to stand up here and point at you and saying what you, you are doing or not doing. It's for us to say together, do we want to take the small amount of faith we might have and see God move mountains? I do. That's what I want to sign up for. What about you? Because, friends, this will get old. And church on Sunday, you know, and if a quiet time here and there is not that flourishing seed of faith in your life that's going to begin to grow into a tree. It's not. You're not going to see it move mountains. I want to have relationships, deep relationships with God and others, and I want to have impact in my life. I want God to use me in ways that I'll go that had nothing to do with me. I was just being used. In Orange County, before we moved away, one of the volunteer roles at a Catholic hospital that I took on was a chaplain to the cardiothoracic floor. And so I was often meeting with patients pre-op and post. And not once did any of the patients that I met with look at me and say, you know what? Because they're, they're facing a possible end. They're looking at their life very differently, like this could be done. Not one of them said to me, I wish I would have made more money. Doggone it. I should have invested. Not one of them talked about the showcase of homes and they wish they would have done that nice luxury vinyl tile in their house. Not one of them talked about promotions, cabins, cars, houses. You know what it was? It was relationships and impact. And you have that choice. Friends, don't you want to be a part of moving mountains? I do. I do. This morning as we go to to response time to communion, can we agree as Christ followers that the beauty of the act of communion is to remind you that you are free. I'm going to say that again because some of you are very religious and you're driven by guilt and shame. This morning you need to know that the beauty of going to communion and the table is that it allows you not to have to earn anything anymore. You've been freed. Now you're free to be used by God to move mountains. Communion allows us to remind ourselves that in a few weeks we'll look about Good Friday and Easter, his death and resurrection, and say, God set me free. Now I get to be a part of mountain moving. Friends, that's why things like Ripple, things like changing our city, things like crazy initiatives around here that we're going, oh yeah, God can. I do not, I do not fear it at one bit. Because I realize, isn't that what we're to be about? This morning as you go to communion, can you ask yourselves these four questions? And maybe this morning is Bobby's song first. Maybe it's, God, I need, to be- I need more belief. Help me with my unbelief. Help me with my lack of faith. Will you use that this morning as our response time? Father, we're grateful. We're humbled by the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. May we this morning get a, more, a larger portion of faith that we might have a living response 
And God, will you use us to move mountains? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.